as most of you can see, I wear glasses, and I use them to help correct my vision. Uh, I have astigmatism, and I've had cataract surgery on both eyes. And my wife uh, takes eye drops uh, twice in the morning, twice at night, to control her pressure on her eyes to try to keep glaucoma at bay. And I remember a student of mine in driver education. <clears throat> we were going downtown Hudson. Came up to his first traffic light and he says, Mr. White, should I stop or should I go? I'm colorblind and with red and green. <clears throat> I slammed on the brakes. <laughs> I said, um, now's a nice time to tell me. Um, God blessed him. He's now a local pastor in our county here. So, kept him safe thus far. Paul says that we should fix our sight, fix our eyes, not on what we've seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is unseen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I give you these comments early on to share a spiritual point with you. There's more to reality than just the physical things that we see. And as Paul says here, the unseen things are eternal. And that's where our vision should be. The natural is a complemented by the supernatural. And the physical is complemented by the metaphysical. Now, as Christians, we, of course, recognize both realms. But my point here is that far too many Christians live and act as if we're only living in a natural world. That's the only one that exists. Only the things that we can see, only the things that we can touch, only the things that we can interact with. So often as Christians we make that mistake. We know that there are things that exist that we cannot see. For example, the laws of logic. Um, for instance, we can say that it's raining on our church. And we can say, it's not raining on our church. Now, the laws of logic says it can't be both at the same time and in the same place together. We can't see that law, but we know it exists. There are laws of mathematics that we can't see, but we know that they exist. There are black holes in the cosmos that we only know that are there due to the laws of mathematics. We can't see them. We can see the results of emotions, such as love. We can see when love is being exercised. And we can see when anger is being exercised. We can see the results of it, 
but we can't see the emotion itself. So often as Christians, we have little sense of the supernatural. Sure, uh, we mentally and theologically uh, affirm the reality of God. We believe in angels and the spiritual reality in which they live. But too often we live as if only the physical world exists. We are basically blind to the surroundings of the supernatural. <clears throat> so I have said last week we were going to end the uh, section on the cost of discipleship. And I had two other areas I wanted to go into. Both of them are a little bit controversial. Um, so I thought, well, I just will jump right in. And um, so um, I guess we'll start off with the question of why do we have a problem with the supernatural? I have a few ideas on that. Maybe you have a few ideas as well. But as a church, as a Christian, uh, quite often we set this aside and we choose not to go in that direction. And so I thought that's the direction we'll go, this new study. Um, so the first thing I want to show you is, is briefly some of the reasons why we don't study this. And then we'll go in and open up uh, the study uh, as we move along. <clears throat> Good teacher should have some props. I listed here a few things that I came up with as to why we don't study the supernatural more. One of the reasons has to do with filters, and I'll talk about each one of these in more depth in a few minutes. <clears throat> um, and then we think of the subject as being uh, insignificant, not important. Um, our minds have been dull theologically to the importance of the subject. Uh, the topic is uncomfortable. Uh, we've seen the charismatic movement and they're dealing with the supernatural. And the worldview of rationalism is creeping into the church and that kind of tempers uh, our study of the supernatural world. And we have a fear of raising human emotions to equal to or above scripture. We, so these are some reasons we don't study um, the supernatural, the unseen realities that exist. 
I think I've discovered my own, in my own life that I became pretty good at using filters. Filters are used to eliminate things in order to achieve a desired result. Sometimes we have a set end in mind and we filter everything out to meet that end goal. And so sometimes we don't want to deal with the supernatural, so we filter things out to avoid that end result. When we use these filters in cooking, the unwanted things are strained and discarded. When we use these things in our furnace, it increases the performance of the furnace. And we use it in our water systems to eliminate bad tastes and bacteria. Whether it was in our secular education or our Christian education, we acquire knowledge through filters. It could be in a secular education, there were certain presuppositions that you would make that would filter certain things out. Textbooks were written by authors and they had biases, they would filter things out. Maybe it's just tradition. Well, we've never done it that way. We've always believed this. Anyhow, we use these filters to organize uh, and aid us in our learning. In our Christian education, these filters might include religious creeds, catechisms, statements of faith, and these filters, we view the Bible through these lenses, and um, we come up with what we believe or are familiar with through the, these different uh, filters. However, these catechisms and statements of faith and creeds are not divinely inspired and may have helped us organize our theology but they may have filtered out certain things as well. Carlos Tobar, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, has used multicolored pieces of tile to create a, a work of art. It's a big, huge thing, heavy, it's all get out. <coughs> and individually, the pieces of tile are important, but not as important until he brings order and purpose to the artwork. And then he puts those little pieces together. And creates a, a, a work of art. By the way, that's not his. It's just a picture of a mosaic. He uses his artistic filters to bring about a dazzling mosaic. The Bible is a theological and literary mosaic. There are individual pieces such as justification, baptism, redemption, sin, salvation. And the individual pieces may appear to look like just random, unrelated particles until we step back and we see the entire masterpiece and how they work together to form God's 
handiwork, God's larger picture. The unseen realm or spiritual world is just one of those pieces. In order to make sense of it, we must step back and see how it relates to other parts of Scripture. We can't totally appreciate it without looking at how it relates to the rest of the Bible. So this is one of the reasons we don't take time to study it, at least not as thoroughly as we should. We are more comfortable filtering it out. Another reason we don't study the unseen realm is we have been dulled to the theological importance of the unseen world. When it comes to the study of the supernatural world, today's Christianity has a couple of challenges that it needs to overcome. First, many Christians claim to believe in the unseen world, but think and live like skeptics. We find the talk of the supernatural world uncomfortable. This uneasiness is typical of congregations outside of the charismatic movement. And such was the case of my own Christian walk, a sense of uneasiness. I was about 16 years old. I was the oldest one in the church youth group, and I had a driver's license. And I would take a car full of kids down to Detroit and we would attend Youth for Christ rallies in downtown Detroit. And they would bring in different gospel groups and speakers. And, and there was only one McDonald's in a 50-mile radius. And we would always stop there on the way back. And so then my pastor, Pastor Spracklin, said, you know, we can have a Youth for Christ right here in our own church. And it can be as big and better than the one down in Detroit. You don't have to go down there. We just do something here. And we were only 16, but we knew that there's nothing that you could bring into the church that would really, I mean, we're talking about maybe 5,000 kids down there in Detroit. And he got angry when we resisted, and he threatened to call down from the unseen realities, from the spiritual world, he was threatened to put a curse on our heads. So you know why I had a little bit uneasy feeling about the spiritual world when I was growing up. Part of the uneasiness, though, is because of a question of exegesis of scripture, particularly by the charismatic movement. While we were, might question how the charismatic denominations have interpreted the Bible, while we question how they did it and, and their end outcome or their end goals, that it resulted in closing up our minds. We say, we don't want that, and we close our minds and we fail to study the unseen realities. Another cause or lack of study of the unseen realm uh, might be the church today has to fight off the worldview of 
rationalism. And rationalism is a worldview that says that thought and logic should be governed by reason. And it's very hard to take the unseen world and make it logical and reasonable. A lot of this is done by faith. And some of that idea is creeping into the church, and that shuts down our study of the spiritual realm. Traditional Christians teaching, as for centuries, have kept the unseen world at an arm's length. We believe in the triune God because there's no point in being a Christian without it. The rest of the unseen world is handled with the quiet whispers and perhaps a little humor. <clears throat> the final reason I think the evangelical churches shy away from the serious study of the spiritual world is again that it seems the charismatic churches and we see in their churches where they have elevated human emotions and human experiences above scripture. And so we don't want that to be part of our worship in that case. This charismatic movement has uh, embraced the idea of the living spiritual world. However, again, it's largely based on human experience and questionable interpretation of the book of Acts. So with regard to the unseen world, modern Christianity seems to find itself dealing in two extremes. On one extreme, you have the evangelical liberal churches who want to push the spiritual realm to the side, the periphery of the theology. And on the other extreme, you have the charismatic ones who want to embrace this um, and uh, even to the detriment of unbiblical scripture, unbiblical teachings with regard to it. So I've been painting a very broad picture here. I've made some very generalizations, and, and that may not be the best way to approach this subject. But um, let me make it more personal. What if a fellow Christian spoke to you in confidence and told you that he believed he had been helped by a guardian angel? Or that he had audibly heard a dis disembodied voice giving him warning about a dangerous situation? What if a friend claimed to have witnessed demonic possession? Or, what was con or this person was convinced that God had directed their life through a dream. If it were me, my first impulse would be to have some doubts. That's, like I said, that's my background. I would most likely nod my head and listen politely, all the while thinking about how to seek other possible explanations for their experience. 
since we live in a scientific age, I am more prone to think that uh, these kinds of experiences were maybe emotional and they may have been misinterpreted the events through their emotions. Or I might be wondering what medication a doctor could prescribe to help my friend. Our modern Christianity has filtered out any experiences from the unseen world. And as a result, we don't see it as an important part of our theology. Yet if we declare we teach the whole counsel of God, we just can't ignore it. So before we jump in here, let me lay down some foundational statements. First of all, I don't have all the answers. These lessons are not divinely inspired. So there's room for interpretation, maybe if you have scripture to back up your position. I'm open to hearing other points of view. Second, I believe difficult passages and a lot of little known and little understood parts of scripture are very important. Second Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Third, if we are to teach the whole counsel of God, we should not ignore, skip, or refuse to study the difficult passages and the puzzling passages found in Scripture. Fourth, I don't think we should automatically jump to supernatural conclusions on events or puzzling passages that we don't totally ex can't totally explain. And fifth, if we truly believe we are engaged in spiritual warfare on a daily basis, then we should know more about the spiritual beings that we're facing. So these are some of the reasons why we don't study it, and these are some of the reasons why, if we do study this area of unseen realities, that I think this is a foundational statement that we should uh, use to, to jump off and begin our study. So where do we begin? Well, I'll begin with a question. Do you really believe what the Bible says? Del Tackett did a series on for Focus on the Family called the Truth Project. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's really pretty good. But he makes, asks a similar question. He says, um, do you really believe what you believe is real? Do you really believe what you really believe is real? So to some, this might seem like an odd question to ask an adult Sunday school in a Reformed Baptist church. But is it really for the Bible has some pretty interesting things in it, things that might be hard to believe in today's modern world. 
Now, I'm not talking about the big items, such as whether Jesus is God, and he came to earth, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about miracle episodes. I'm not talking about the exodus out of Egypt or the Red Sea crossing. Most Christians would say they believe in those things. After all, if you don't believe in God and Jesus and all the miraculous things that they did, what's the point of saying you're a Christian? What I'm talking about are the little, little known supernatural stuff that you come across when you're reading in the Bible. And quite often we just skip over them. For instance, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. <clears throat> this is a story about a wicked king of Israel, Ahab. And he wants to join forces with the king of Judah to attack an enemy, King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat uh, wants a glimpse into the future. He wants to know uh, what's going to happen if they do this attack. So first of all, Ahab asked his prophets what the future of the attack would be. And of course his prophets gave him thumbs up and a green light and said, go for it. But neither Jehoshaphat or, uh, or Ahab believed that these prophets were telling them the complete truth. So they said, uh, let's, let's go and see what God's prophet has to say. And God's prophet was by the name of Micaiah. In verse 19 through 23, this is what Micaiah said to the kings. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a split came forward, the spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all those prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed a disaster for you. Now, let that sink in a moment just described here. The Bible is saying that Almighty God met with a group of spirit beings to decide what was happening on earth. I don't know about you, but my first reading of that, <clears throat> the implications kind of rocked my boat. I set back on my heels a little bit. Again, this is the type of things that we quite often gloss over and don't think about. Jude, verse 6. Jude, 
And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. It seems, the Bible seems to be saying here that God sent a number of angels into a dark and foreboding prison. Like I said earlier, the Bible has some pretty interesting things, especially about the unseen spiritual world. Many Christians have no trouble with the Bible's less controversial teachings about the supernatural, such as who Jesus is, what he did. But passages like these tend to make us a little uneasy. So what do we do? Why well, we ignore them, of course. The story was related to me about a couple visiting the church. And that church, uh, the pastor was preaching through 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for, sin, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clean conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is in God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. As the story goes, the first thing the pastor did after reading this passage, he says, uh, we're going to skip these verses because they're just too weird. Who and where were these imprisoned spirits? The pastor either didn't know or he didn't like the answer. So he simply chose to ignore these verses. Have you found yourself doing the same thing as you read through? Well, it's going to be our um, challenge to maybe open up some things about the unseen world, unseen realities, and to not uh, ignore or filter out um, some of these gospel truths that we have uh, maybe stumbled over, I have, for years. Any thoughts or comments as to learning about the unseen realities in the scripture? I had two topics, and both of them were a little bit uh, controversial, so I picked this one. Uh, any other reasons why you think we don't study the spiritual world as much as we should? Well, then we'll explore this subject together. Let's close the word of prayer.
Lord God, we come before you today with a humble heart. We ask you, Lord, to open up your word to us, open it to our mind, open it to our heart. Lord, may your scripture be the foundation of our search. May your truth be found. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would dwell with us on this, your Lord's day. We ask you, Lord, to be with the pastor in the next service. Bless the time that we have together. Uh, bless the baptismal service. Lord God, abide with us, we pray, as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.